This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا اله الا الله واللهم اجعلنا من الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين ثم اما بعد my intention today inshallah in this khutbah is to share with you reflections from 2 to 3 ayat of surah ash-shura these are ayat that have many many profound lessons in them but there's one thing in particular that I want to build up to and share with you inshallah ta'ala and hopefully something that can give us bring us closer to Allah's guidance in our personal lives and as a community. Allah Azza wa Jalla in these ayat describes the three audiences that the Prophet ﷺ had to face. And those three audiences are basically you can even call them two audiences the people of Mecca the Quraysh who worshiped idols and had no knowledge of any revelation from before and even if they were descendants and part of the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam that was long forgotten the only thing left of some of that beautiful tradition was some rituals and they didn't even know why they did those rituals so the Kaaba was there and they have no idea why and they were sacrificing animals following the tradition of Ibrahim and Ismail alayhi salam but they have no idea why they've forgotten all about it so they are, they are qawmun ghafilun. You know, they have no clue why they do what they do. On the other hand, there's the Jewish and Christian communities in Medina. That was the additional audience of the Prophet ﷺ. And they are very different from the audience of Mecca because these are people with background in revelation. Even though that revelation was changed and it was altered, they understand the concept of one God. They understand the concept of messengers. They understand the concept of the Akhirah. These are things that they were familiarized with you know, through prophets and through previous revelations, whatever they had left of those revelations, regardless. What Allah Azza wa does in these ayat is actually doesn't just introduce us to these audiences, He actually describes to the Prophet ﷺ why his mission is so difficult. Why are both of these audiences so hard to convince? Talking about the mushrikun of Mecca, the people of Mecca, He says, كَبُرَ عَلَى الْمُشْرِكِينَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَيْهِ it is very, it's very hard for the, for the mushrikun, for the idol worshippers. It's too big of a deal for them to accept what you're calling them to. Kabura alayhim. Kabura ala fulan in Arabic is used when something is very hard to accept, very hard to live by, very hard to swallow. Why would Allah say that about the mushrikun? Well, He would say that because on the one hand, you know, أَجَعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا They would complain, we have all these gods. And now you're gonna take all those gods and just turn them into one guy? How can we accept this? How can we get rid of all of this tradition that we've had for so many thousands of years? I saw my dad doing this, his father did it, my great-grandfather did it. These are revered, you know, religious traditions. We can't just get rid of them. And by the way, the older a temple is, and the older an idol is, even in the idol-worshipping parts of the world today. If you go to an old Buddhist temple or an old Hindu temple, the older it is, the more revered it is. The more sacred it is. The more people come and visit it. You know, the new one's great, but the old one is like a tourist attraction. If you really want to get your prayers answered. So this has been going on for centuries in, in, in Mecca. How are we going to just get rid of it? What are you talking about? This is very hard for them to accept because they thought, saw it as a, a violation and almost like being, being a traitor to their own legacy, their own, their own ancestry. Like kicking their ancestors in the grave or something. But there was an additional problem. And the additional problem was basically directly politics and economics. I mean, if you get rid of all of these idols, all the other tribes in Arabia have no reason to give you business. They have no reason to consider the Meccans special. 
There's no reason to not attack the people of Makkah when they travel. The only reason they don't get attacked is because they're considered custodians of all the other idols. So if we mess with them, if some tribe messes with them in a trip, then they'll be like, when we go back, oh, you guys are the ones with the wooden one, right? I'm gonna break his legs when I get back. So they're gonna, we're not gonna mess with them because they're holding our gods hostage. Right? So, but if we get rid of all the idols, there's nothing, no hold we have left over the rest of the region. We're just like everybody else, no more special status. And there's no reason for all this tourism into Mecca. Mecca, as you know, is not a tourist attraction. It's not a fun place to go for the weather, nor for the people, nor for the scenery. We go there because of the Kaaba. And the mushrikun used to go there because of the Kaaba for the wrong reasons, for their idols. And when people go somewhere, they increase economic activity. There's more business, there's more tourism. You know, there's more purchasing. And so their entire economy rested on those idols. So when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is calling them to get rid of the idols, it's gonna destroy the economy. How are we gonna make any money? And it's gonna destroy them politically. So it's not just ideologically or philosophically, you know, spiritually they had a problem with Tawheed, but they saw this as something that'll destroy the entire Makkan structure. The entire ecosystem is gonna get disturbed. And that's captured so beautifully by Allah, كَبُرَ عَلَى الْمُشْرِكِينَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ It's very big, very hard for them to accept what you're calling them to. Very hard for them. So that's the problem of Makkah. But then when you come to Medina, even the Qur'an says when some of the companions, when they got to Medina, they were optimistic. And they were optimistic because these people, fine, the people of Mecca, we had no idea what a book is, we don't know what a prophet is, we don't know what afterlife, we, they had none idea, they would even question Mar-Rahman, what is this Ar-Rahman word, I mean, what, we've never heard it before. They talk like that, but when you go to Medina, those are people of Torah, those are people of Injil. They have been worshipping Allah for a long time. And if once we invite them, they're gonna see, this is مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنَ التَّوْرَاتِ It's actually confirming what they have in their books. They're gonna recognize it. It's gonna be so much easier for them to accept Islam. And in this ayah that I wanted to share with you, Allah Azza wa says, no, actually it's gonna be even harder for them. It's gonna be even harder for them. You think just because they have background, it's gonna be easy for them. There's a, there's a group among them, this is even more difficult for them than the people of Makkah. And He gives the reasons. Because on face value, you would think, well, you, you've been learning your book, you've been learning your Torah, you're waiting for a final messenger to come. All the signs you've been studying, like we study alamat al-sa'a, right? We study the signs of Judgment Day, and we give lectures and durus on the signs of Judgment Day. They would give lectures, khutbahs, durus on the signs of the final prophet. And they'd be waiting for him to come. And now all those signs have been fulfilled. And they fulfill 100% on the Messenger of Allah وسلم. Then why not? So Allah describes, وَمَا تَفَرَّقُوا إِلَّا مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمِ They didn't fall into disagreement, except even after knowledge came to them. Except even after knowledge came to them. This is a very profound statement, because the previous group did not accept because they don't have knowledge. Now Allah is saying this group does not accept because they have knowledge. <laughs> because they, مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمِ After having knowledge, which defies common sense. Why would someone know and still fall into disagreement? I thought the purpose of ilm, the purpose of learning and knowledge, is that disagreements come to an end. Once we all know, we're all gonna be on the same page. So Allah Azza wa Jal in this ayah gives a profound, what is called in Arabic, a maf'ulun li ajlihi. An object of a verb that gives you reasons. And let me put that in simple English for you. In one word, 
Allah describes, when is it that knowledge that is supposed to bring people together, when does knowledge become a means of disagreement? That same knowledge that was supposed to unite, becomes that, that's, it's supposed to be the remedy, it's supposed to be the medicine, that same knowledge becomes poison. And it's not even a different kind of knowledge. Allah Azza wa called it al-ilm, meaning the, the actual knowledge. Actual knowledge had come to them, and, they, and because of it they fell into disagreement. And that word, one maf'ul li ajlihi in the ayah, the, the rationale behind it is just one word. And that one word is baghyan baynahum. The word is baghyan. And it's very difficult to translate baghyan. And one of my, part of my attempt in this khutbah today is to help you and I understand what does that word mean? And how does that relate to people who know something? But I'm gonna take a step back and give you some other examples. You have in the scientific community across the United States and in universities around the world, certain things that are considered consensus. Certain things have become consensus. For example, the, the uh, Darwin's model of evolution has become consensus. So if you go to any university, any reputable university in the world, and you're gonna be studying biology in any, any serious sense, the basis of it is gonna be the Darwin, Darwin's model of evolution. And if any non-Muslim, atheist, agnost, Christian, Jewish, any scientist, even disagrees with one part of it, not the whole thing, even one part of it, their job is in trouble, they might get ostracized from their community, they might lose their tenureship at the university, you cannot disagree with this. This is not up, up for discussion. This is established fact now. You talk about this and you're done. You have in the, in, 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 across universities, particularly in the United States, of course we have many, many, many schools that have higher education in the field of psychology. Right? And abnormal psychology, social psychology, behavioral psychology, we have incredible expertise in this field. And, you know, up until the 70s, the American Psychological Association was unanimously in agreement that homosexuality is actually a, it was listed as one of, one psychological disorder among many. It was actually considered a psychological disorder. Not only was that removed from the list, by now, if you actually even try to ask that question, your job is over. You're done. There, in a society that says we are free to ask whatever questions we want, we can question anything, research anything, you know, probe anything, experiment about anything, that one question, if you want your job, is not up for discussion. That question is over. You, you may not ask that question. So you'll notice what I'm trying to get at is that even in academics, in Western academics, even in, you know, recently I was talking to a student of mine who's actually a PhD in, in physics, who was, who was telling us that, you know, you have people that, that you know, in many, in many leadership professorship positions in science community, they're famous atheists. They're famous people who don't believe in God, right? And their arguments for believe, not believing in God is basically, you know, uh, science. They use science and evolution, etc. as primary arguments for not believing in God. And now you have mathematicians, physicists, other scientists who are saying your arguments don't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. When they're diving deep inside of a bacteria and finding advanced engineering inside the tail of a bacteria, they're starting to question, wait, if you're saying this is an accident, this is way too well-crafted and engineered. This has to be designed by a creator. This has to be made by a, a higher being. This is not believers or Christians or Jews or Muslims saying this. These are physicists saying this. These are other scientists saying this. These are statisticians saying this. Even they get kicked out of university positions. Even they are denied any position. 
So there are some things that are just, there's no room for us to talk about in certain... I mean, we think this is an open free society. It's the image, it's the facade of a free society. But let's go back to that community that Allah described. In every field of life, there are some people who claim they know more than others. There are experts. You know, there could be a mechanic who's an expert. He's the only one who knows the cars in the neighborhood. He's the only one who understands how the engine works. Yeah? He's the only one who understands how the transmission works. A doctor can be an expert. He's the only doctor in the village. Nobody else is a doctor. He has that knowledge, nobody else has that knowledge. You understand? And the same thing happens within religion. There's an imam, there's a scholar, there's a group of scholars, there's shaykh, there's dua. Perhaps they know more than the rest of the people. They're more knowledgeable. And when someone is more knowledgeable, we trust them. If I take my car to a mechanic, I don't know anything about cars. He can open up the hood and tell me, you need a new engine. All I need is an oil change, but he can convince me I need a new engine. And I'll have to believe him because I, I don't know any better, I put my trust in him, you understand? This is how it works. Now Allah says, people didn't fall into disagreement with each other, except after knowledge came to them, because of baghi. Now let me tell you what baghi means. What are the reasons behind which people of knowledge disagree and turn... Turn the remedy, turn the medicine into poison. When do they do that? The number one reason they do that is al-ikhtiyal wal-marah. Al-baghi bima'na al-ikhtiyal wal-marah. Linguistically, the word baghi actually means to have a lofty opinion of yourself and to be full of yourself. You can't possibly learn anymore because you already know everything. You can't have the attitude that you're continuously learning and there's more to learn because you're the, ex- you're the one who knows above everybody else. So knowledge, whatever there could have been, has already been attained by you. There is no reason to question what you've already arrived at. You already know everything. The attitude of a know-it-all. Al-Baghi also means al-Hasad. Baghi actually also means jealousy. Why should people listen to his speech, when I'm giving a speech, maybe make sure people don't listen to that guy or don't attend that convention or don't go to this program because those people, they don't, they're not nearly as good as I am. And let me convince you why they're so wrong. So now the scholar who's supposed to further knowledge, he's supposed to further truth, his entire exercise, his entire effort goes into proving somebody else wrong. Why should you not listen to him and why should you listen to me? Because he sees if somebody else has scholarship, and somebody else is saying something that corrects what he says, he sees that as, oh my God, I'm gonna lose customers. I'm gonna get less people interested in me, more people are gonna become interested in him. And now their position of knowledge is no longer a position of knowledge, it's just a way of securing their, in- securing their insecurities. This jealousy takes over them. You know, in the Arabic language, the word bugha, or you know, or, or you know, Bukha actually means two things. In addition, it means al-kusub, and it also means al-talab, demand, earning. There are people who would like to keep knowledge suppressed because there's, it's their way of making money. That's their way of making money. And they don't want to question anything. They don't want to be able to ask questions. Anybody who's asking questions gets in trouble. Understand what was happening in Medina. The rabbis of Medina used to basically teach religion to their communities. And they were in paid positions. People used to give them money and then get fatwas from them and things like that. This was an industry. The religion had turned into an industry for them. The Prophet of Allah wasallam brings the Qur'an and makes knowledge of revelation open source. Everybody has access. Everybody has access. And some of those corrupt fatawa that they used to give are now being disagreed with. They're losing their position. The only way they can keep their industry alive is by attacking the Prophet wasallam. 
But people don't see that. All people see is this is, you know, if, you, if you're a person living in Medina at the time, and you're of the Jewish background, and you have a rabbi that you trusted, you've heard him give his Saturday sermon every, you know, you know, at the synagogue every week, and you've gone and listened to him and learned religion from him, and now he says with all of that knowledge and all of that experience and all of that confidence, don't listen to that man Muhammad wasallam. he's a liar. You know, don't go, don't go to him. And he's using his credibility of knowledge to create disagreement. Because he sees himself threatened. Because if he accepts Islam, he's not gonna be a mufti anymore. He's not gonna be a alim anymore. He's just gonna be a sahabi, a student like everybody else. Actually, he's gonna be less, he's gonna be a, a freshman. As opposed to some of the senior students like Umar bin al-Khattab. Now before when he was a rabbi, he was actually in a superior position. We're the people of reading and writing, we're the people of scholarship. The rest of these Arabs, they're just, they don't know, they're, they're jahil, they're ammi, you know, they're ummiyin, they're unlettered people. And now some of those unlettered people are in a superior position. How can I accept that? How can I accept that? He, he couldn't take it. They couldn't accept the religion. So that same knowledge that is supposed to be a means of humility becomes a, a means of pride, a means of making money, a means of manipulating people. An industry, a business, that's all it becomes. And this is a horrible, horrible thing to do with the most sacred of all gifts Allah has given us, knowledge. This revelation that Allah Azza wa Jal gave us, it's supposed to be there so human beings can have access and benefit each other. Not so they can take advantage of each other. So he says, وَمَا تَفَرَّقُوا إِلَّا مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمُ بَغْيًا بَيْنَهُمْ There's one more meaning, a fascinating meaning of baghwa in the Arabic language. They say, كُلُّ شَجَرٍ غَضَّ ثَمَرُهُ أَخْضَرْ صَغِيرٍ لَمْ يَبْلُغْ they say if of any fruit that doesn't mature, it's also actually called baghwa. In other words, knowledge or the, the scholar by definition is a lifelong student. A scholar of anything, I'm not just talking Islam, a scholar of anything is truly only a scholar if they are a student until the day they die. They continually learn. And when they learn, sometimes they go back and realize what they concluded yesterday was not the best, today they know better. And they know better, and they know better, and they keep on growing. And they keep on realizing that some of their previous conclusions were not the best conclusions. They're, they've matured over time. But the problem is, if you're already being perceived as a scholar by people, then you don't want to give the impression that you're a student. Because then you can't go and say, well I was learning and I realized some of the things that I said before are wrong. This is the right position, or this is what I find more convincing. And this is, even this is to the best of my knowledge right now. And I will continue to learn. And when I learn more, perhaps I'll change my position again. Like a public display of humility that I don't know. I don't know, or I've learned something better. And I've come to a different conclusion. This is also a very difficult thing for someone to admit. It's very hard. I'd rather, and just like the image describes, a fruit that refuses to mature and falls off the tree. I don't want to grow and mature. I want to stay exactly as I am even if it's unripe. I want to be stubborn in my ways. Now this was about, if you would think this is a khutbah only about picking on scholars or experts or you know, ulama and things like that, that's one side of the equation. But these ayat are universal in their value. All of us have some knowledge. All of us know certain things. Some of you are parents, and your children come and question some things you've done. Maybe you've done them in business, maybe you've done them in the way you dealt with some family member, and your children also know a little bit about the religion, and they say, Baba, Abba, what you did here, I don't think this is right. Oh, you're gonna teach me now? You're gonna tell me? I know. And you're gonna put them in their place. Because you don't wanna hear it. 
Because you already know everything. And even after you know, you can't be corrected. Because you can't see yourself being corrected by a, a, a younger. What difference is left between that and Ibrahim salam kindly telling his father that he shouldn't be worshipping idols? You know? When advice comes to you and me, whether it comes from the youth, or it comes from elders, it comes from neighbors, it comes from friends, if immediately you start holding on to your pride, and you can't take it, then you have the same problem as the rabbis of Medina. There's no difference. It's either jealousy, or it's greed. Some people in the audience, may Allah protect all of us from haram earning. And may Allah not make any of you from them. You got into a bad business. You got into something that you know is haram income. You know it already. And you don't want to hear it from anybody. You want to keep on earning and pretend to keep your eyes closed. You'll just give extra checks to the masjid in Ramadan or something. And may, pretend that everything's gonna be okay. You know, it's like the parking ticket. You just pay the fine, and you should be fine. You keep park, keep your, you can afford the extra tickets. You keep the park, car parked illegally. That's not Allah's Allah's law. It doesn't work like the Department of Motor Vehicles. Let me tell you, you can't just do whatever haram you want and then write a check and it erases it. It doesn't work that way. You can't pay your way into Jannah, or pay your way out of hellfire. Tawbah is necessary. We have to recede, and even if we knowingly did something, or now you know that you've done something. We have to walk out of those things. And if we stay of the, in, within those things, it's either greed, or jealousy of something else, or pride, or stubbornness. And these are all baghi. A desire to take over someone else. A desire, uh, an urge to not let somebody else come up. Why shouldn't we? And pe- people know they shouldn't get into riba transactions. They know that already. It's not like anybody in the Muslim community doesn't know what riba is. You've heard it enough times already. But then, when you get into a riba transaction, and then your family or some concerned one says, why are you doing this? What do you want us to live in an apartment our whole life? Look at that family. They have a house, they have a house, they have a house. We should just stay in an apartment? What's wrong with us? Allah just wants us to be poor? Is that what it is? And you start giving them lectures. Because they tried to correct you. You know, we have to earn somehow... And so when it comes to money, when it comes to position, when it comes to status, when we turn a blind eye to what we already know, then we are no different from this warning that's being given. وَمَا تَفَرَّقُوا إِلَّا مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمُ بَغْيًا بَيْنَهُمْ But then as I leave you, I want to share with you what are the consequences of this. Rarely do you find in the Qur'an when someone does something wrong, Allah talks like the way He talks here. لَوْ وَلَوْلَا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ مِنْ رَبِّكَ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى لَقُضْيَ بَيْنَهُمْ Had it not been for a decree, a word from Allah, that had already come to pass, meaning a verdict from Allah that was already decided, that, I will de- that Allah is saying, I will deal with them on judgment day. Had it not been for that verdict, لَقُضْيَ بَيْنَهُمْ They would have been dealt with immediately. I would have dealt with them right now. Allah is so offended by people who know and still let their pride and their greed and their jealousy override what they know. That He wants to deal with them immediately. But says, you're just, you are getting, you think you're getting scot-free. No, 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 you're not. It's just that I decided that I'll deal with you on judgment day. But there is some immediate consequence. And that's the one that I want to leave you and me thinking about. There is an immediate consequence. Allah says, وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُورِثُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ And those who were given the book in inheritance, much after them, لَفِي شَكٍّ مِّنْهُ مُرِيبٍ They are truly in doubt about it. 
What happens when a generation ignores knowledge and does what they want anyway? What happens when the people of knowledge just fall into disagreement out of, out of pride and arrogance? Then a next generation of Muslims rises. And those next generations of Muslims are doubtful about Islam itself. لَفِي شَكِّمْ مِنْهُ That's the Qur'an's words. The next generation of Muslims aren't even sure if they should be Muslim. All they saw was these shaykh types fighting each other. Arguing with each other. I don't want to deal with any of that nonsense. And actually when you dig deep enough, all of them are greedy, all of them want money, all of them have pride issues. I don't want anything to do with this religion. As a matter of fact, they see the behavior of those people that represent the deen, and they're so disgusted by it, that they're doubtful about the book itself. The who, the minhu in the in the ayah, could refer to, according to some ulama, al-kitab. They doubt the book itself. They start questioning the book itself. A generation of Muslims will come about who will start asking questions about the Qur'an. How come this is said there? How come that is said there? This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And we don't have to imagine that generation anymore. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. And some say that that dhamir goes back to يَعُودُ إِلَى الْعِلْمِ They're doubtful about knowledge. They don't even care to learn anymore. Like, I don't want to learn this stuff. What's the point? What, do you want me to learn this stuff and argue like these people do? What's the point of it? So an entire generation of people becomes disinterested. They become, they become you know, skeptical about the revelation, and they become unsure what the point even is of learning any, any religion. What's even the point? لَفِي شَكِّمْ مِنْهُ But then, if that was bad enough, it would have it just, just stopped there. Allah Azza wa Jal added one more word, and that's what I want to conclude with. لَفِي شَكِّمْ مِنْهُ murib. Those of you that are Arabic students know that the, the word murib is actually muta'addi. It affects another. It's transitive in Arabic grammar. You know what that means? They're in a doubt that puts other people in doubt. They don't keep their doubt to themselves. They make a video about it. They blog about it. They post about it. They comment about it. And when other people read it, they start doubting. And then other people read it and they start doubting. They can't just keep their own, you know, waswas to themselves. Their waswas, you know, their waswas to themselves, their whispers and their, their criticisms and their questions, they talk to other Muslims about it. They infect other youth. And other youth start doubting. And then they share it with others. And doubt like a disease spreads in the society. How can doubt spread when you had people of knowledge? I thought the remedy for doubt was knowledge. And in this ayah, when knowledge is not given its due, when it's not served with any intent to overcome, to further yourself, to promote yourself out of jealousy against someone else, or greed, when, that, when those intentions corrupt knowledge, then you don't get certainty from knowledge. Then what you get is doubt in the next generation. May Allah Azza wa Jal protect this ummah from falling into unnecessary disagreement. May Allah protect the, the, those who are learning in this deen to protect them from baghi of any kind. And may Allah Azza wa Jal protect this generation and coming generations from doubt that is infectious. Barakallahu li wa lakum fi Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين يقول الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد 
محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا